SAFM leading the conversation. The viewpoint, eight to ten p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songes on SAFM. Well, everybody knows that today was the budget speech following two weeks on the President's State of the Nation address. So what I propose to do to my or with my analysts this evening is just to give each analyst some three to four minutes of free flow. Tell us what your thoughts are as the analyst. Let's try and solicit some debate from the listeners in relation to where they are relieved or are seriously concerned, how the budget speech is a reflection of one the economic conditions of the country, two, a response to the pandemic, obviously, three, more importantly, I would believe, a response generally to what can be generally classified as a bleak economic picture for the purposes of however so revitalizing an economy that is in some serious need of ventilators and oxygen and things of the like. Ladies first, Dr. Ntabisen Muliko, good evening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm laughing at your comment about ventilators and oxygen. Wow. (laughs) Well, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so listen, uh, we are going against, uh, let me say, basic economics in that uh, time of recession, you need to boost economic activity. The basic use is fiscal stimulus. Germany has used it, uh, USA, Japan. We like to look at OECD economies and compare ourselves to them. So let's use them as a bar uh, in this instance. Also, Asian economies. And you've seen great proportions of their GDPs being used as a proportion of GDP to just stimulate the economy. More than 10%, some up to 21%. That's Japan. Uh, 700 billion US dollars, uh, US 900 billion. We're talking big numbers here. They're not cutting back on expenditure. They're stimulating and boosting both supply and demand-side expenditure because they understand the short-term temporary intervention to get a country out of a recession and quickly to recover mm. so that it goes back to its growth path. The, so- the problem in South Africa is we're debating austerity. We're debating whether we- it's a good or a bad thing. Most countries are showing us that this is a norm, particularly from 2008 all the way up to the post-COVID. COVID actually has accentuated this use of fiscal stimulus to get countries out of a crisis. That's number one. So we are doing the opposite. I want to start out. We are doing the opposite. We are reducing expenditure because we're saying we want to consolidate our public finances. The budget has been set out as improvement of public finances, but I think we're looking at it only in the short term. In the long run, how are we going to make sure that revenue is sufficient to service all the expenditure programs, the social programs, but also the debt that needs to be serviced? We haven't dealt with the long-term growth trajectory sufficiently. I don't think necessarily, if you look at the economic recovery uh, program's effectiveness, we have assessed the immediate impact. What the ERP was supposed to do with its four priorities was to recover. We were supposed to, after six months, see recovery. We're still bleeding jobs. We've just heard the numbers of unemployment come out. We are worse than ever before since the 2008 when unemployment was calculated by SATSA and the Labor Force Survey. We're also seeing... um, not surprisingly, as a proportion of GDP, our public sector and private sector investment. Again, Treasury admits that it's the lowest it's been since 2005. So that's almost a 15, 16-year record history of low in terms of public sector and private sector investment as a proportion of GDP. So we're not seeing the kind of bolstering of the economic activity. And I think the other point I want to mention, which is a serious concern, is that the targets we have are really mediocre for the kind of problem we have. So the scale at which we are trying to resolve these problems, we are coming with uh, a minuscule plan, and yet our 
mammoth problem is as big as a mountain. So we come in with a stone or a little thing that is saying we want to grow our economy by 1.9% by you know 3% all this small amounts. We want to in the in, in the in the plans of Treasury one million jobs in ten years. And I haven't heard a change in terms of how many jobs over the period of these recovery programs will be created. So there's a problem with the impact assessment of the interventions. The scale of the impact is inadequate to deal with seven point two million people outside of the labor market. What we need is serious drastic reform urgent, unprecedented measures, a timing, an urgency, a sense of urgency, prioritization to say we have a crisis on the economy. We've seen the pandemic crises, and it seems the urgency is only on vaccines, pandemic, health care. But if people are hungry, if people are living outside, if the economy is falling apart, if the public finances are deteriorating because we're not focusing on growth, how is it that we're going to continue to sustain this? It's not sustainable. And I think we really need to put an emphasis on the type of plans and the type of targets that we have that are inadequate uh, and not going to help us sure. deal with the fundamental problems. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for your preliminary thoughts there, Dr. Ndabiseng Muligo, who's at Marty's, the business school in Stellenbosch University. Our independent political analyst is listening. Your thoughts then, please, Mr. Dr. Meji Makhoba. I think, uh, thanks for having me, I I think this is uh, predominantly a right-wing budget that is going to hit the working class very hard, through, especially through uh, uh, potentially uh, the tax increase. And and I think in South Africa for the past few years, the issue has not been how much money is allocated for what. The issue has always been how is the money being used and for what purpose. And what we have seen in the past that uh, these kind of budget speeches have actually become a ritual where um, lots of amount of money are mentioned to to speak or to express government ambitions and their plans. But in the end of the day, we kind of get derailed by how this money has been misused by by the state and, and by the government. And then, however, the minister can also can also be forgiven. Because the context is that of we have this COVID-19 and something needs to be done. But uh, the issue is that South Africa comes into this picture with structural unemployment and structural poverty. And that is kind of missing from the speech that uh, he, however, claims to be thinking in the long term. But COVID-19 is just one part of our problem. As the, um, my colleague has explained, there's, there are people who are hungry and Poverty and issues of unemployment are almost absent in the speech. Uh, he, he's focusing on issues of, for instance, he talks about $10 billion to purchase vaccine, uh, $83 billion to, to in, improve the infrastructure. But for, for now, that has not been actually the major issue. The major issue in, in, in this process, especially something that should worry South Africans, is what's going to happen to these numbers. And we've seen in the past few years that uh, this actually, these numbers will actually be wasted by how state, for instance, has uh, has mismanaged resources. And then the other issue, the issue of tax bracket vis-a-vis the, uh, the the personal tax increase, the personal tax increment vis-a-vis corporate tax cut, it's kind of bizarre because it will suggest to us that uh, maybe corporations are not affect, are affected by COVID-19 than people. And that is actually more problematic because equally, if we're saying that the context of 
increase in tax was COVID-19, he should have actually applied the same logic to the issue of personal income tax. And that is kind of very problematic in his speech. And then generally, the speech expresses government constraints for now, but it also actually paints a bleak picture for where this country is headed because he mentions about the existing structural problems, but in the speech there is no way where those structures, I mean, those structural issues have been explained. So with that, this is actually a classical example of somebody who speaks left, that this is what we are going to do to stimulate the economy. However, his solutions are actually pivoting to the right, whereas the solution to stimulate the economy is kind of not in, in, in compliance with the problem. Heavy, heavy thoughts coming through from Dr. Mechi Mahoba in conversation with me together with Dr. Ndabiseng Muleko. 2021, what I propose to do is just to have a bit of a sparring session between my guests this evening as I probe one or two things that they have contributed. Where are you most affected as the taxpayer? It's pretty obvious, obviously, given the fact that there are increases in the pipeline, thankfully. There is no VAT increase, which would have been really a strain on people's backs or necks, wherever you might call it. But some numbers to think about. The consolidated government expenditure, 2.02 trillion, of which 1.21 trillion is directed towards social services, learning and culture, health, community development, social development. The question then has got to be, Dr. Ndabiseng Muliko, when you talk about the urgent reform that is necessary, I just got the sense that what you were alluding to or sort of just about to say, and I could be wrong, certain behavioral changes in the public sector need to happen. One, in terms of how the fiscus is managed from national to provincial to even local government and all the many SOEs and related institutions that are government owned. That's one. But more importantly, I would think, the question of a bloated public service for too long has been a conversation but it has only been that, a conversation, nothing tangible in the way of doing something about that reduction. Your thoughts on that? This is a very serious point you raised on what is structural reform. So this is exactly where we have differences, I think, amongst uh, economists and uh, National Treasury in terms of their interpretation. Structural reform, when you look at the East Asian economies, really specifically meant and looked at the proportion of manufacturing value add increased Uh, particularly looking at your contribution of your secondary sector uh, and incrementally how your uh, exports coming from your secondary sector, also focusing on your manufacturing value add as proportion of GDP, increasing. So countries like Korea, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, those countries, when they talked about structural reform, and particularly what we're mimicking or we're hoping to mimic uh, in terms of their economic reforms and look at what they've been able to achieve in 20, 30 years, and the type of economic reforms they've put in place, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about changing investment pathways to industrialization. They grew from light manufacturing to more industrial uh, oligopoly-type structures. They were able to develop cellular phones, technologies, cars, all the brands we're talking about, Kia, Hyundai, uh, Samsung, Huawei, all these things is through a structural reform. These are what we're talking about when we talk or when I talk about structural reforms and what I understand to be structural reforms. Uh, the second leg is that when you're talking about structural reforms, what you're trying to do is change the growth path of the country so that you have more long-term sustainable growth, but also growth that absorbs your unemployed, also growth that enables you to enhance your revenue generation, both from company income tax 
for VAT and also for PAYE because it comes from employees, it comes from workers who are working, who buy more goods and services, and then the whole flow of goods and services in the economy is improved. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about structural reform uh, in the East Asian, in the non-Bretton Woods type uh, reform. Now, when you're talking about national treasury economic reform, what it looks like is not what we are talking about East Asian economy. It looks like the structural adjustment program of Bretton Woods or the Washington Consensus. What that talks to is exactly what you're saying, reducing public debt, uh, rather reducing uh, public wages, reducing the involvement of state-owned enterprises, reducing you know, all those type of mechanisms, which are structural adjustment programs, reducing your spending on social programs, which is what Treasury is doing. Uh, they've cut back the austerity that we are implementing now. We're targeting budget surpluses in the outer years of our budget. Uh, these are the structural reforms that Treasury talk about. The micro-reforms that they talk about is making it easier for business to do business or regulatory uh, hindrances, things like spectrum, uh, e-visas, mm-hmm. uh, tourism stuff, and efficiency and competitiveness. These things do not necessarily re- lead to a change in the value of level added coming from secondary sector. It's a proportion of GDP. These things don't change your export components. The other thing in South Africa, which we don't talk about at all in our discussion, is redistribution. South Africa uh-huh. has a large proportion of its population that is not economically participating. We don't have SMEs that are in the mainstream economy. We're not involved. We talk about township economies. We talk about dualism in our economies. We talk about parallel economies. There is no real discussion, as Dr. Mahoba said, of what exactly is being done to make sure integration happens and redistribution. We have no longer, we're not talking about redistribution anymore. That is part and part of what let, let me engage that. Let me engage that before I lose myself. And you've touched what would have been my next question, only now I am just bringing it forward. Redistribution. When you mention that word, it takes me back to 1993, the election manifesto of the government that is still there. RDP, redistribution. You know, the reconstruction and development program was all about redistribution. Then came Gear and Ademakoba. The question then has to be looking at this budget. Is it more responsive or is it more required now that we simply go back to the basics, which should have never have been aborted in the first place, reconstruction and the development program, where then you focus largely on the building of your economy and active participation of especially those who are marginalized, as Memo Lego has alluded to, through social services, making sure your education facilities are on point and absorbing people there. Likewise for health, likewise for community development. I mean, think of transport and things of the kind, human settlements, for instance, and social development, not just child support grants, but programs that are in nature social development, but surely with an exchange or a transaction. That's the one aspect of it. Or do we focus on economic development and hope that that will redistribute by way of how capital works? That has got to be the fundamental shift that has to now be re-looked at. Your thoughts? I think that has been one of the most interesting conversations in South Africa because there is a this uh, idea that the, re, uh, the RDP program was in some way a redistributive program, whereas actually the ANC was expressing some form of complicated neoliberalism in in the policy document. So redistribution in South Africa has never been a key issue, really. Uh, It has been about the increment or the increase of the social wage rather than reconfiguring the economy to ensure that everybody benefits all the marginalized communities are kind of included in the economy. So 
we actually need to restart a conversation about what does redistribution mean in South Africa. Mm. And then for for this government, as we speak, for them, redistribution means the inclusion of blacks in the economy that actually historically marginalized them. So there's never been a sort of change of how can we reconfigure the economy to ensure that everybody else is an active participant. So uh, the composition of a move from gear or from RDP to gear is kind of being framed in South Africa as if there has been a, a RDP which was expressing some so- form of a socialist position and now that they came gay, which is a, there's actually been a shift from socialism to neoliberalism, whereas the ANC since 1994 or since 1993, it has been an expression of uh, neoliberalism, which actually privileged issues such as deregulization, ensuring that capital is able to do a business. And that has sort of managed to keep majority of black people in poverty, because if people are not participating in 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 the economy, it creates a, a market for cheap labor. And that has been what has happened in South Africa, where, as you see, a number of people are unemployed, but capital on the, on the other side kind of doing well because there's that availability mm-hmm. of cheap labor. And then the, the worst part that continues to happen is that we are hoping to, I mean, reformulate our form of redistribution within the economic infrastructure that didn't work, which means that kind of stretches the national debt, whereas the distribution of resources remains uneven because the distributionary machine remains the same, remains old. Uh, it, it advances apartheid capitalism. And we're kind of hoping that if we spend money in, into certain directions without changing the structure, some form of miracle will happen, whereas the numbers kind of reproduces themselves. Certain groups of people who have been in poverty before 1990, will still be in poverty today because mm, okay. the structure yes. No, fine. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. What I propose to do is this because we have some 10 minutes left of the conversation. Let me go th- straight through to the calls. And I've got Mike, then Sakile, then KGM. I will probably have time maybe for one. By the time KGM speaks, if there isn't a caller on the line, I will not proceed because I have to manage time with my guests. Good evening, Mike in Newlands. Hi, good evening. Thanks so much, Sengeza. And I must say, you, you, you're the first person to have two guests, two doctors that actually make any sense at all. So well done to both of you. May I say that I thought that the speech was extremely disappointing. And the fact that well, the point that we might be missing is it's built on an ideology. It talks, what, one thing we didn't address, but it sits in the background, is expropriation without compensation, NHI, mm-hmm. and of course, vaccine uh, distribution by only controlled by the ANC, the, the government of, of the day. The, the, the point that I thought was missed completely by our minister was the fact that we didn't deal with corruption. Corruption itself is a pandemic in our country. And, you know, we, uh, just today, Dr. Nkwezi is now involved in, in, a, in a scam of 82 million. Our very own doctor, doctor who? who runs... Sorry, sorry, Sagezo. Doctor who? Uh, Mkezi, uh, 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 am I Minister right? Zuelim Kize. Sorry, Zuelim Kize, exactly. Yes. yes. So he's involved in corruption. We've got Pantesla Sufi, who is involved in a 413 million rand corruption scam, which he says he knows nothing about. Of course, we might talk about Dika, we can talk about the Guptas, we can talk about Zuma. It's almost as if that did not exist in our country. And until such time as, as our minister 
recognizes the fact that we need to deal first and foremost with corruption before we go to the public and say, uh, um, people, we need more money. They need to deal in-house with their very own corruption. And finally, Sungeza, I do think, though, that you mentioned, or one of your guests mentioned, hunger and job dignity. That is what did not come out in the speech. People in our country are hungry. Mm. We need jobs, and it's not being addressed. It was really most disappointing, and I saw no hope in this budget speech at all. Thanks so much, I guess. Thank you so much, Mike. Much appreciated. Let's go to the shock territory now, from Newlands to Durban. Sakile. Uh, thank you, Tomeva, and your wonderful guest there. Mm. You know, Tomeva, you knew you were wrong when the DA minister says, you don't have to cut social spending in the way. DA is supposed to be on the extreme right, but a, a, a minister of a so-called revolutionary uh, movement is getting criticism from people who are on the right and saying to him, why are you cutting social spending? You know you're wrong when you do that. Uh, and, and, and I don't think that they have an idea on how to to grow this economy. The, the understanding of industrialization, I don't think they understand that. They just set up a special economic zone and they don't invest in them because they were supposed to be this driver of their version of industrialization. But I don't think the doctor is, uh, is diplomatic. I'm going to say, this is what happens when you appoint a, a billionaire president and a, a minister of finance from Goldman Sachs. I mean, you expect kind of austerity and you have <laughs> and the funny thing is what i had in the speech he said that um you know um it, 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 the 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 tax is going up it, it, it's good for public health i mean really you're just hurting the people who are using these things more because it hasn't have stopped them from buying these things yeah, I mean, sure. in, the lo- in the lockdown alcohol was triple the price it is in the black market. And people still bought it. And you go around and you lie and you pretend you're a doctor when you don't even know what's going on in the crowd. Come on. Sakile, I've got you. Thank you so very, very much. You know, a couple of things that have been mentioned in this evening slot dovetail a lot with what Riaz from Bulugwan, if I recall correctly, last night had mentioned. Riaz, I will make an exception only for you if you are listening. I want you to call. I want you to contribute along the same lines as you would have yesterday because this is where your points, as you raised them yesterday, certainly are meaty. KGM in Gandla. Uh, good evening, Songezo. Good evening to your guests and uh, to the listeners. Mm. For me, this is a political budget in preparation for positions. We know that we are on the eve of elections. Uh, it therefore makes sense for the minister and his collective to prepare the official bribery through the resources of the states that they are having at their disposal. Systematically, it doesn't matter what your guests talk to. If we are not going to disrupt what we inherited, because it is clear what we inherited was not good, a combination of what we inherited and the agreements behind the scenes is the manifestation of the disaster we are finding ourselves in as a country. Mm. So if the system is not dismantled and we're not forming a, a budget, a, an economy that talks to our socioeconomic conditions, if we, we don't stop mimicking what the West 
or the peoples from or countries from across the oceans do and we think south africa or the economy of south africa will work on the basis of what the 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 the, the, the so-called developed countries do and we have people who are at the actuals of opulence like the leaders we have today kjm come on this is just another dream we'll be talking the same thing next year thank Very you well. thank you i must appreciate that i'm trying to move on let's go to jay in durban uh, good evening to you uh, i'm really disappointed in it didn't emphasize on education and agriculture and that if that is not addressed immediately and as for education of young girls as i said the other program that child uh, grants how it must be redirected for the 12 to 14 years into a bursary uh, for them to finish off at the end of metric year to get it as a university funding but our government it doesn't realize our country our people are so highly potential productive manufacturers educationists why must we import from other countries, our raw material goes out, and and we have to buy from exported, uh, uh, imported stuff. He is reducing us to such a level that it's telling we pay our taxes, and our taxes pay their salary. So I think people should wake up and realize that mm. we all must voice our uh, uh, our situation in Parliament. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you, Jay. Much appreciated. Final caller this evening. Welcome back, Riaz. I did promise you that I will try and get hold of you. Promise delivered. Your thoughts? And you're a chivalrous man and a deft uh, moderator. Thank uh, you. I didn't get the um, uh, doctor, the female doctor's name on... Uh, Dr. Ntabiseng Moliko. Dr. Ntabiseng uh, is just brilliant. I have no idea why Treasury doesn't hire her and get rid of all these neoliberals. We have a disaster in the making. The global financial crisis cost us a million jobs, right? And that was only a financial circuit supply shock. Right now we have a demand and a supply shock. And I agree fully with uh, the doctor uh, that we're going to have an unemployment crisis. And this is setting the seeds for uh, dictatorship. It's actually very frightening. And I just want to say that party politics and alliance politics is all very messy. If you have political parties that have absolutely no moral purpose, like Tito just exhibited today, they have no moral purpose. They're not a political party. They're a conspiracy to claim power. Mm. Riaz, thank you so much for your thoughts. What I propose to do now, because I do have six minutes, so maybe we'll play a couple of voice notes, but Dr. Mahoba, Please respond to, and I'm trying to sort of gird you here, please respond to the question of social development. Usakile mentioned the fact that even the DA is like, you cannot ignore the fact that people are hungry. You cannot ignore that communities are being strangled. And I think for the most part, you also spoke about the fact that people are hungry now. They need solutions now. Could you respond, of all the things that have been spoken to, that point, people are hungry, and how do we fill their bellies? After that, I'm going to give you, Dr. Muligo, an opportunity to speak about the system that needs to be overhauled, because again, that has come through strongly, and those hopefully will be the final contributions from you both. Makhoba. 
I think the issue of social development, it's, it's very important to make sure that there is economic movement that translates into uplifting people out of poverty. But the ANC kind of doesn't, doesn't have a position on the issue because they don't have a concrete strategy on how to uh, create jobs. And they keep on saying that uh, the capital will, will create jobs and the whole intentions of capitalism is to do business in the possible way cheap. And it shows that uh, actually the, the crisis is already here because there's no coherent strategy in terms of where jobs are going to come from. What do we see actually? We see people losing jobs every day. And since COVID-19, there has never been anything from the ANC that actually inspires hope. And as things things are, the issues such as social grant are going to just receive a minimal increase to show that maybe something has been done. The ANC hasn't forgotten about people. But in actual fact, uh, the... The, the economic structure that we inherited in the past, which privileges certain groups of people, is still intact. And the ANC has never even tried to tamper with that structure to ensure that uh, certain groups of people are also included in the economy. It has actually been a redistribution of jobs that could only be created by capital. Let me interrupt you there. Let me interrupt you there. And I I, I know you want to say something, but I'm trying to keep you to your lane, so to speak. On that point, Uh the economic restructure there, Dr. Ndabiseng Muliko, let's talk about the first point that you had alluded to was that this is a classic case for when you need to revisit the economic structures and perhaps start, like we have seen elsewhere, successfully so. Perhaps it's time possibly even way overdue. So let's just talk about the point that Jay made and also uh, the point the last caller has made. I think the point is that we have no prioritization and method to measure the impact of anything that they promise. Uh, the economic recovery plan, the infrastructure, everything is promised, promised, promised. What you've seen with uh, COVID is a kind of a ability to have proper planning and systems to monitor South Africa has three current crises. South Africa has a gender-based violence crisis. No mention of it is made anywhere in any speech. The women who are beaten, molested, raped, the uh, allocation of budget, the efficacy of that budget uh, across the uh, streams of policing, the systems of support, nothing. Uh, where are the monitoring? Where's the planning? Where the prioritization? You can't see that. It's announcements. Second, you go to the economy. The economy is in crises. Uh, you can't see exactly how you monitor the outcome of some of the uh, programs of uh, the economic recovery program. We just hear announcements. And so when you're talking about systems and revisiting how we measure impact, what you would probably want to see is where do you put money to get the greatest value? Agriculture is a good example. Education has massive multiply effects in the long run for any economy uh, and also for the development of your human ca- capital so mm, that they can mm, produce mm. more and have improved skills. But there's just simply very little coordination and emphasis to make sure that you have gains made in this regard. And that talks to the planning and the prioritization. Simply announcing expenditure year on, year out, budget expenditure, budget allocation, but there's no change to the efficacy, no change to prioritization, no change to monitoring outcomes. What are we doing? And I think this is where we just... And no absorption of the skills into the economy. 
and and this is the, the the critical thing. And the pandemic, we're willing to do all kind of things, measure data every day, measure data every week. There are two other crises happening. Where is the urgency? Where is the coordination from the National Command Council for the Economy and Gender-Based Violence? You know, there's this is, I, I, I must say that if we were to see this kind, same kind of coordination on the economy and on gender-based violence that a pandemic has received, uh, I'm telling you we would see uh, things move, mountains move, and uh, things would change. But we haven't seen the world. We haven't seen the outcomes. We haven't seen even data to support any of the impact assessment. Very few and sent in between. Uh, and simply we'll okay. have to wait now till October. Uh, to kind of have a review, and then next year, February, same process. I don't think this is sustainable. And it's quite possible that in October he might change his mind, as he has done from October to now. Whew, yeah, people thought I was being alarmist, people thought I was being partisan and biased and DA tendencies, this, that, and the other. But on the evidence of everybody's contributions this evening and how this budget speech has been received against what I thought was a very sterile State of the Nation address, I think time is always good for one. It vindicates. Nonetheless, this conversation is done. Thank you so much to everybody who has participated. I get the impression the budget speech for 2021 is not welcome, given the fact that it has missed too many things it ought to have addressed, even play catch-up to what was the State of the Nation address. Thank you so much, Dr. Mahoba. Thank you so much, Dr. Muliku. Thank you. Thank you. 2046, short ad break before we talk about digital transformation.